Alrighty, Rare Petro audience, welcome back to the Rare Petro Network. Today, we've got another podcast for you, more specifically, the Industry Leader Spotlight. Now, we do upload these to YouTube. I'm sure you've heard my spiel at this point, so it's great that you listen, but there's definitely more to be taken away from these if you watch them. So just look for Rare Petro on YouTube, and that's all I've got to say about that. But like I said, today, Industry Leader Spotlight, and I am very excited to introduce our guest for today, Mr. Clark Gruy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Tavis. Great to be with you. Of course. Now, Mr. Clark Gruy is the founder and CEO at Rainmaker Global Business Development. Rainmaker generates international opportunities for businesses expanding their market exposure globally by identifying qualified opportunities for rapid growth and expansion. Clark has advised hundreds of companies on strategies for business expansion and diversification to guide them towards exponential growth in domestic and foreign markets. His focus on business expansion and recovery is essential for understanding the global marketplace and providing unique solutions. So first, we got to kick it off. We're very excited to have you, but we know that you do have a little bit of a different background than many of the energy-centered professionals we've interviewed in the past. So tell us a little bit about how you got started professionally. Yeah, thanks, Tavis. And my exposure to the energy industry and the international marketplace um, really basically began in the late 90s when when maybe a lot of our listeners weren't even around or they were very <laughs> young. Um, and uh, I was uh, moving around at the time with my family and, and basically had an opportunity. Uh, I've been doing international business prior to this, mostly in the mining sector. Uh, I was based out of Toronto, Canada at the time. We were selling satellite communication devices into Africa and so on to get information. If, if, if you imagine back in those days, there was no no iPhones and no, uh, not, not the same sort of uh, cell service we have these days. So getting information out of Africa on mining um, projects was very difficult. So we have to send in sat phones and, and do it that way and bring the information into the markets. That exposed me to sort of the cultural differences between countries and how things you know, actually uh, operate. In Africa at the time, for instance, you couldn't run um, telecommunications cables because once you ran them within 30 days, they were ripped out of the ground and stripped for copper and sold on the black market. So, you know, you couldn't, they, they just, they were struggling with infrastructure, you know, basic infrastructure needs that we don't think about in North America very much, but it was very real. And that's what created the market for that. Anyway, that exposed me to the international marketplace, the mining industry. And then um, I was fortunate enough to be hired by the British government to run a, uh, a British government office um, in Calgary, Canada. So uh, north of north of you guys in, in Colorado, our good uh, our good friends and, and uh, brothers down south to us. Um, but Calgary is is a lot is a similar city to Denver, and, and you know basically based on the energy industry and oil and gas and all that. My role with the British government was to run um, the well, to head up the oil and gas focused or energy focused team in Canada for the British government. So we were working on bringing. British companies into the marketplace, helping them, you know, find their path, helping them get plugged into projects, supply chain, um, whether it's whether it was engineering companies or innovative companies with nuances for the oil and gas industry, helping them uh, actually find markets, if you will, here. And, and that exposed me to a lot to the energy industry, uh, getting getting to know the energy industry, how it works, you know, upstream, downstream, midstream, all those, all the streams you guys know so well. And, and getting to know it, um, it kind of got kicked off there. So it put me into the government space a bit, Tavis. It was a bit weird. I mean, you know, I was, I was a private sector guy. I, you know, small business, like to, like to be an entrepreneur sort of thing. And suddenly I was in the, the big British government machine. And, and I learned a ton. I learned a lot about 
diplomacy. I learned a lot about trade agreements and how they work and how companies go international. Um, not to bore you with my whole story, but basically <laughs> was in government for a bit. Then I was, then we started Rainmaker in 2007, um, one month before the iPhone came out, by the way, another reference to the iPhone, um, and, and really uh, have grown since then. So, so Rainmaker is a consultancy group that works with businesses to expand around the world. So I've taken basically my understanding of international business and created a consultancy practice out of it. And it began with oil and gas. So for us, a lot of the clients were oil and gas. Um, and now a lot of our clients are in the, in the oil and field services or midstream space. So we're, we're still very much tied to the oil and gas industry, but I'm not an engineer or geologist or any of those things. My, my business partner who started Rainmaker with me in 2007, Tim Cosmic, is a geologist. So I get my, um, my lessons on geology you know, every week when uh, Tim decides I need to know more about rocks and then we take it from there. So yeah, that's basically where I come from. Yeah, plenty of places to learn. I mean, the diplomacy aspect seems like it certainly laid the, the groundwork for lots of Rainmakers business. But when would you say you went from just fresh, bright-eyed college kid to industry leader? I mean, I know there's no single oh, moment that you can pinpoint where that transition occurred, but when do you think you started to be less of a cog and more of a shot caller, if you will? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's a great, it's a very good and difficult question to answer, Tavis, because <laughs> You know, uh, here I am, I'm, I'm 54 years old. So I've, you know, I've been uh, working now for 30 some odd years um, and I'm still learning, you know. So I, 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 I as much as I've, I've been in a CEO role, I'm, I'm, I've been a CEO now for, you know, 14 years um, in different organizations. I, I was away from Rainmaker for a bit and was a CEO of a convention center for three and a half years. So I've, I've taken, I've learned a lot from those. Um, and, you know, as, as the progressions happened for me, um, you know, the my 20s were a very much a time of discovery, as it is for many, many young uh, professionals. Um, you come out of college, you, with your, you have your degree, or you, you're, you're still learning, you're still figuring out the ropes. Maybe you have a great mentor or mentors who help guide you into a particular area. Um, I, uh, I was a bit of a late bloomer on that. I was trying various things in my 20s. Then in my 30s hit and I got the role with the British government, it sort of solidified my, um, I guess, professional career direction of where I was going to go. That's when you really start learning. So, so you know, you start to learn uh, how much stuff you don't know. And, and, and there's, a, there's so much in our world today. And, and for, the, for the people, for the, you know, the people coming out of college now, even more so. I mean, the amount of data and opportunity and, and and challenges that are that are sort of ahead of us in this world um, create all sorts of nuances to that that path that I took uh, some some years ago. Now, you know, there there is I will say there's something about about the CEO role um, where you're the 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 last you you can't you can't um, push the decision off to anybody else sort of thing. <laughs> Um, it comes down with the CEO role and whether that's whether you're an entrepreneur and you've got two people working for you or you're a CEO of a large organization with a hundred or hundreds of people working for you at the end of the day um, you know that's the role where you really test your metal I think and 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 um, understand what it means to take responsibility for an organization which is which is a you know is people's lives and and all sorts of things involved in that so I think 
you know, when we started Rainmaker and I, I sort of started to take that role and, and build the company in 2007 was probably, you know, the pivotal switch for me. A very excellent answer. I mean, perhaps too modest, but hey, you're learning yeah, every well, day. You're continuing to grow with those skills. And we've danced around this subject too much already. I mean, what yeah. exactly is the meat and potatoes of Rainmaker's business development? I mean, those listening out there, they may not all be CEOs. There are some, but how can they get Rainmaker and your business involved with their business? Sure. And, and you know, what I've discovered, um, you know, and really <laughs> trying to listen as much as I can to people and companies and, and their challenges and Rainmaker started off a concept, and I'll just take a minute here, Tavis, to explain this. So I was working for the British government in 2002. I ran into this Glaswegian pump manufacturer in Scotland um, on one of my visits over there. And I was telling him all about the Canadian market and, you know, opportunities and, you know, all sorts of things. And, and um, he was getting all excited. It's like, great, how do, I, how do I go and how do I, you know, set up there? How do I do this? And I said, I said, well, you know, you need to, you need to get an office, you need to hire a guy, hire the right guy, kind of start your marketing campaign, get yourself going in the market, understand who the players are, get to know them, et cetera. Started to map it out for him um, very quickly. And he goes, great, where do I sign up? And I said, well, you can't really sign up. You got to go and do the work, you know, you got to, you got to go do this. And, and um, he said, he said, he said, I oh, forget it, too much work. And it, <laughs> pin for me it pinged for me as like wait a minute there's a gap here in the market where companies want to expand they want to grow their obviously their revenues and their profitability and their market shares but you know they often don't know how to do it and then they often don't have the resources to go do it within their current team or current structure so there was a really nice place for rainmaker to slip in and fill that gap so we do that to this day Thomas. for for 14 years we've been working with all sorts of companies as they've stretched and expanded around the world that could be you know a lot of them coming into the u.s a lot of foreign companies from europe and china and other places wanting to be in the u.s the u.s is the the um the mothership or the the central case of the global economy um and and it's it's you know it's which is great for you great for you guys in the states i mean it's it's fantastic opportunities and i hate to use the butt word so and <laughs> There are other places that are starting to really become economic engines. So I think, I think as your audience starts to think about their career path, especially on the global energy scene, um, yes, the U.S. is tremendous. I mean, it's a great place to, uh, to, to learn, to grow, to, to expand. And at different times, you know, in the past, it's been the place to be for oil and gas. Um, but there's a lot of other very interesting places to be as well. And so, you know, I, just to open up the thought process a bit about thinking broader than, you know, just working in Colorado or just working in Texas. I mean, there's a lot of very cool markets beyond that. So hopefully I'm answering the question and not going down rabbit trails. Oh, I think it's fine. I mean, from what yeah. you're explaining, uh, it's not necessarily a middleman situation, but more of a, a professional networking situation where you find people, the experts that they need to be able to grow and change in the ways they didn't right. know. And, and it's also, yeah, thanks for bringing me back to Remake. It's also, um, you know, there's a process you go through as a company as you expand. There's, there's a, there's, you know, it's one thing to just get a first sale in a market. Okay. So get, get somebody, Hey, find me a sale. Great. Um, that's the beginning of developing a market, uh, a new market you're not in. And so what Rainmakers does with their clients is that we really um, concierge them through the whole process. We we're, we're, we're with them the whole way. 
So as they're going through and they're understanding why is this regulation not the same as it was back home or why is it why is it impacting my business differently here than it did before? Why is my messaging not working in this country or state? You know, this worked at home. I mean, I can say this term and it means this back in Colorado, but in Texas, it means something else. What's going on, right? So, so helping them understand that there is those differences, there are those differences, and there is then then there becomes a process, a, a way to do this, um, to understand a market, enter a market, establish in a market, and then be profitable in that market for a long time. So that's the space, if you will, that we sit in. And we, we do a lot of that work um, here in the office here and with our partners around the world. So we, we do it in a, in a network of very smart individuals who really understand their local market. So when I'm talking to companies about why they would hire Rainmaker to help them, I've got experts, I've got great data, I've got a process, I've got, you know, history and education and understanding of how to do it. So, and government, the government stuff helps, you know, uh, in, in some of this too. So, so that does help. Yeah. yeah so that's so Rainmaker. For those of you listening, I will be sure to include links in the bottom because of course, everybody's got potential, whether you're an individual or a business. So reach out to Rainmaker, see how they can help you unlock that potential. But moving along, I was really excited to sit down and do this interview with you because one question we ask everybody uh, is, well, share your thoughts on the current downturn and how it changes. But we have a lot of people with technical background in specifically oil and gas. But you, with your knowledge of markets and diplomacy, what are the things that are playing into this that makes this downturn different or maybe exactly the same as some we've seen before? Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I, I, I would tend, I, I do characterize this one uniquely, Tavis, uh, against other ones. And, you know, uh, I've met people uh, in my travels who have been through five or six, you know, oil cycles. And it's like, wow, you know, but, but, but this one um, has been unique for, uh, for a number of reasons, I think. Um, and, and I think there are reasons that uh, we have to be smart about how we view the industry. Um, so this is way longer than we've seen any sort of slowdown or, or downturn in general um, in the industry. You go back in history and they're often like six months or eight months or a year and, and you spring back sort of to where you were before. Mm -hmm. This is taking a long time to come back around um, from an oil price point of view uh, perspective. So this, so this particular downturn has taken longer to come through. It is, it is um, having a deeper impact. And what it's what it's also doing is it is it is we're losing a lot of our gray hairs. So, you know, a lot of the folks who've been in the industry for years have left or are leaving because they were timing out anyway. And so now you look at the industry and you think, OK, the the um, the engineers, the thought leaders in this have have in many cases exited. Um, and now we have this younger generation coming into these roles into a maturing industry. So let's remember that the, the industry as well is very much maturing. It wasn't that long ago that we were first exploring the idea of horizontal drilling or fracking and all these things are, are, are relatively, um, relatively new, new um, developments, innovations. Um, but now we are starting to see, I would argue, a maturing of the industry overall. We're not looking for a technology to unlock more of the resource. You know, the whole idea of, of, um, of um, the oil running out and so on. We, we, don't, we don't seem to have that same conversation. Therefore, okay, it's not as hard to get to. So now it's about how do you produce it efficiently? How do you produce it? And this is really important in a very environmentally 
socially and acceptable way. So the ESG conversation is has impacted this industry like nothing ever else has, nothing else ever has. In my experience in the two or three or maybe four downturns I've seen, it's just been simply a supply and demand piece that's that's or a or an outside phenomenon that's shocked the industry and then it comes back into place. This is a reset on how we're going to do, I believe, this is my one man's opinion, um, how we're gonna do the oil and gas industry going forward. And I think for, the, for, the, um, for you smart young minds coming into the industry, we need leadership from you guys to take us down those roads. There's gonna be lots of work. It just might look a little bit different than it did 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, that's not an unpopular opinion at all. ESG has definitely factored into this equation but it sure. seems like you look at it as more of a hurdle than just an absolute roadblock. There's definitely potential, like you said, for the young people to reach across the aisle, stimulate these conversations and find a way where we can harvest this in a yeah. way that everyone's okay with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I won't go down, I won't take the bait on reaching across <laughs> the aisle given our current situation in Washington, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I think there's a, the, the thing is, I, I think it's a hurdle because, uh, we're not seeing our demand for oil globally um, come off very much. In fact, it's back to increasing by a million barrels per day per year. So we're tipping over that, you know, that um, getting it back up to that 100 million barrels a day that we need in the world. That demand doesn't seem to be going away. No matter what we're putting into with renewables, which I'm all for, we seem to continue to need oil in our economy today, at least for the foreseeable future. What's fascinating about that to me, Tavis, is you look at what the demand, where the demand's coming from, it's not like what we've actually been able to, to tamp down on is fuels. So actually the, the use of oil hydrocarbons for fuel, like, like gasoline and jet fuel and, mm -hmm. and shipping fuel and all that has been pretty much, pretty much flat for a while now. So we're, we're actually finding a way to reduce that through electric vehicles and so on, which is good stuff. But, the, but we still add a million barrels per day demand every year. So why is that happening? Because we want so much stuff. We want, you know, so we're still consuming a lot of oil, but not where we're kind of talking about consuming oil. So, so I, you know, growth will still be there, but I think it's going to have to be done very, very smartly and efficiently. And I think, I think there's going to be huge opportunity within that space um, that, that are different types of jobs you know ES, esg kind of changes the the tone of your job if that makes sense right it's not necessarily going to change what you do like you might still design a well to drill you know from here to there this way and that way but you'll start to consider the esg component in a in a different way maybe uh, on that so that's just my again i, I think that lines with with other thinkers but I, that's the way i see it mm -hmm. definitely and then as far as uh, Rainmaker goes, the beauty of COVID, or perhaps beauty is a ridiculous and inappropriate word, is that everybody's in this together. We're all doing poorly. Even if you're not directly involved with oil and gas, it's hurting a lot of people. So is. what is Rainmaker doing to try and stomach the blow, right? How does it, if anything, turn this into an opportunity where it can grow? I mean, what yeah. is your company doing? Yeah, and, and you know, we've, I have to say, um, we've had a good 2020, and I, I, I feel bad about saying that sometimes, but we've, no, Raymaker's, done, Raymaker's done well. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a change coming, I think, Tavis, in, in many places of the world where, as governments have had to step in and 
and sort of a support people who can't work for lots of reasons around COVID, all for good reasons. Um, as the, you know, this is basically slowed down at least, if not shut down many economic engines we have around the world. And so as, as we come back, so let's presume that COVID's done and we're moving forward. It's going to be, you know, companies that are interested in growth and able to grow are the ones who are going to be the next big companies and the next wave of things. So we've been fortunate to identify a number of those companies who are thinking forward. So as you think about, you know, beyond COVID now, what do I need to know if I'm going to expand my business into Latin America? Like, like there's a lot of interesting markets in Latin America or Africa or the Middle East. And, and so what do I need to know so that I'm ready and I'm already preparing to get there even before um, uh, COVID's over. The other thing, of course, that you guys know so well is that COVID has allowed us to move into the um, online or video conversation um, so effectively. It really has been a boon for that. And, and I think as you think about international business, one of the challenges always is, well, I want to, I want to, I got to get over to Jakarta and, and meet those guys and shake their hand and so on. We still need to do that. And I don't, I don't think that will ever go away, but, but there's a bit more ability to build some trust, at least online which we didn't have before doing it like this for you and I Tavis seeing each other is a whole different experience than a phone call or obviously an email or text. So, <laughs> so um, you know, this is good, but I've heard stats that, that say it'll take seven or even 12 of these interactions for you and I to get the same quality of an interaction where we could actually see each other, shake hands, have a meal together and, and hang out. So, so there's a, there's a, you know, that, that live piece still needs to be there. But what we've had with COVID is an acceleration of the technology that allows us to do these things so well that you're able to get ready for markets sooner, if that makes sense. And that's what we're seeing in, at Rainmaker anyway, is, is, you know, is the ability to actually, no, we can talk to people in Brazil. Let's, let's, get, on, let's get on a, a Zoom call or a Teams call or whatever it is and, um, and have the conversation with some decision makers, start to ready the market so that when we are able to fly down there and do the do the handshake, um, it's well prepped. Mm -hmm. So does that does that kind of make sense? Oh, of course. Yeah. And then as we move forward, of course, we've got those short term changes like you mentioned. Uh, we've tried to come up with solutions to circumvent not being able to shake hands and travel, but specifically for energy, oil and gas, that market. What are the lasting changes going to be? What has the industry learned from this pandemic or what will it continue to learn that will change the way it operates forever or will it go back to business as usual? Yeah. You know, <laughs> when I, from the guys I've met and girls I've met in energy, um, these are, you know, my guess is with, with the oil and gas industry, we're going to, we're going to go back. We're going to go back pretty quick um, because, you know, we're just the people in the energy industry are just get it done kind of people. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll watch my, watch my language a bit here, but you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just let, let's go do it. Let's figure this, this challenge out. Let's fix it. Let's go and find a solution and do it. Like that's just the way we think in the energy industry, which is brilliant. It really is a fantastic, really spectacular industry for so many reasons. But, but basically because of that, I, I think we're going to, spring back quite quickly. I think other industries are gonna take longer to kind of come out of it. Um, certainly tourism and things like that, those are pretty obvious, but I think I don't think there's many 
oil and gas guys I know that wouldn't jump on a plane right now if if you know if they weren't going to either um, get a big fine or or not be able to do what they need to do. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the folks in the industry. Um, I think the bigger shock on the back end is going to be who's not here anymore. Like I, I think we're gonna I think we're losing a few of our as I said earlier some of our leadership in the industry. Um, so you know when you when you make a trip to Houston now maybe your contacts aren't there anymore. They've they've decided to pull the pin, retire, or they were laid off and they're not coming back. I mean, that's going to be the interesting piece, I think, for the energy industry as we start to determine who the leaders are, who the decision makers are going to be. Because obviously to get things going, we need proposals to be made to, for certain technologies and the decision made, made to buy it. And that's just the way it is. So, so I, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to come back because I even look at the price, the prices now, WTI prices, starting to, you know, at least move in the right direction, um, you know, because we're starting to draw down on some, some reserves. So I, I think I would, I'm, I am an optimist though. So, you know, take it with a grain of that. Mm -hmm. And as you were delivering that question, when you said, who's still here, I thought, oh, of course, mergers and acquisitions, but you're right. It comes down to who still wants to be in the game. Who's going to be left standing by the time this gets over? And that kind of brings me to my next question. With the people who are leaving, and as you called them, I believe, the gray hairs on the upper end of the experience chain, yeah. leaving the industry, does that leave a lot of opportunity for young people? I mean, even outside the energy sector. I graduated back in May. A lot yeah. of people graduated recently or looking to graduate in just a few months. What yeah. advice do you have for young professionals looking to uh, make a name for themselves or just gain some experience as soon yeah. as uh, at the very start of their career? Yeah. Um, first off, do I think it's going to leave a, a, a gap behind the gray hairs? Absolutely. Like there's going to, there's still a need, like you start to think about companies who are going to start to, you know, get projects moving forward again. Well, they need project leaders and project managers and, and vice presidents to make strategic decisions and analyze, you know, the return on investment. We need all that still in the, in the machine to get this going again. So, so yes, there's going to be a, a week behind those those gray hairs leaving that leaves an opportunity um and of course what that does is it drags everybody sort of up right uh so so those those folks with you know 10 or 15 years experience will might get put into positions um that hopefully they're ready for but maybe they're not and they're kind of getting thrown into new opportunities and that's and they'll learn they'll be great at it but it'll just take some time um and i think where that opens up Tavis, and to come back to your question specifically, for young people, I think I think there will be opportunities um, going forward. And and as you try to, I think the trick is um, you need to make yourself unique somehow. So it's not just about oh, I check all the boxes for that particular job. I'm going to send my send my resume in and you know hope. Like anything you can do to make yourself look different to the um, company who's hiring um, is good. Um, I've always been a big proponent of volunteering. So any, any um, industry association or chamber of commerce or, or any type of organization, um, and, and in, in, in the ESG world, any kind of social organization, try to get involved, try to get leadership roles and, and show that you're, you're willing to give some time and give some of your, your effort to things that don't pay you. Cause if nothing else, it looks really good to a company that, that this, you know, they're going to pay you of course, but the fact that you'd be willing to give your time for a cause, you, you know, passionate employees are valuable employees. And, and so 
So I think um, differentiating yourself as you're applying for jobs is, is important. And if you're, you know, if you're, if you're just finishing school and you've never done any, anything that looks good on the resume, in your opinion, have somebody older look at, look at sort of your path, um, playing sports, being involved in clubs at school. These things all look good on, uh, you know, on young people today, I think. Um, I would always look for people who had played sports, just especially team sports. Um, you know, who had learned how to be involved in a team and, and could function and maybe did well, or maybe they were a captain of their, you know, basketball team, whatever, just something that shows the character of the person. Because when you're coming off a piece of paper, you got no character. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no, who is this person? We don't really know, right? So, so any way you can jump off the page um, in a unique way, I think is valuable. And Clark is definitely putting his money where his mouth is, for those of you listening. If you go to his LinkedIn page, there's an extensive list of all of his volunteer opportunities, and it seems yeah. to have worked for him. So let's see what we can do yep. for ourselves. But Absolutely. I think that brings us to the end of the questions that I wanted to ask. Is there okay. anything else you want to say as you close out this interview, even anything about Rainmaker before we draw it to a close? Yeah, thanks, Tavis. And, and um, you know, I'm actually going to throw props back your way. I think Rare Petro has just been <laughs> a great company. And and we've gotten to know you guys over the last year. It's been it's been a special thing to kind of understand better what you guys are doing in the energy industry in the U.S. And we have a ton of respect for you. And, and you know, Rainmaker is is um, continuing to expand our, our, um, our global partners around the world, um, certainly focused on some interesting opportunities. Um, Middle East, um, it, it, you know, when, when you, we didn't really go deep on this, Tavis, so maybe I'll just say um, increasingly um, the oil industry drives global, global economic development so many ways. So when you look at places like the, the GCC, the Gulf region um, uh, over in the Middle East, um, those countries are built on oil and gas. We know that. But Africa now, as you start to look at some of these countries trying to get their economies going and developed, they, you know, they're, they're really looking at, at oil and gas and various power, you know, feedstocks for power, for power generation as an opportunity. So if you're, if you have an aspiration to be doing things internationally, you know, open your, open your thoughts around that. There could be some very cool opportunities to, uh, to grow in the international marketplace as well. Um, and I, I, just, I just know that it's going to continue to be so critical for, for countries to grow their economy. And, and as we come out of COVID and all these countries have spent all this money, they, got, they have to rebuild their economy. They need to get it going again. So I think there's going to be some very interesting nuances on the global stage. Rainmaker's watching those closely, uh, working with our clients all the time to find those opportunities. Um, we're excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunities ahead of, of us, but ahead of our clients as they start to open their mind and their, their, their thinking and their strategy towards the global marketplace. And that was a better answer than I could have asked for. And we would like to extend our thanks as well. Everybody listening, let's all do our best to be a little bit more like Clark. Let's view problems <laughs> as opportunities and continue to learn and grow and differentiate ourselves from the rest of the pack. You can do that by, well, I'm going to put Rainmaker's contact information in the description. Also Rare Petro as well. Plenty of resources to grow. You know we put out plenty of content. Go ahead, read some more, listen to some more. And I think that is the end of the episode. So once more, thank you for joining us on the show here today. Thanks, Thomas. It's a pleasure to be with you. Of course. And until we see you next time, everybody, take care.